If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to begin a look at a a section here, verses 4 through 7, and I've entitled it, The Facets of Love. And uh, I'm just going to kind of give us the box that we're going to look at these uh, three verses. Um, You know what? We as Christians have probably heard this preached and taught and sung and read and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So the odds of me giving you any new information on this text are slim to none. But it's a very difficult text. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll read verses 4 through 7. Father, we come before your throne. Father, we just sang, we surrender all. Father, um, those words are really easy to say. Those words are extremely difficult to do. Father, you have shown us in these last few weeks how important love truly is. Now you will show us the immense color of love, the facets of love. Father, we who are called by your name, help us to hear what your word and your spirit has laid upon the children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Help us surrender to the truth in your name. Amen. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. No problem. No problem. I started out the first line of my notes here with the greatest single commodity in life is love. There is nothing greater. Absolutely. There is absolutely nothing greater. You know why? Corinthians 13, 13 says everything else will pass away, but love will be forever. (laughs) So I'm thinking it's kind of important. First Peter chapter four says above all things have love. And when the Bible wants to define God, when God wants to define himself, he defines it that God is love. Okay, so love is the clearest single definition of the character of God. Romans 13 says, love is the fulfilling of the whole law. We've just looked in the last few weeks, the first three verses, and it says, if we have everything and not love, we are zero, zip nada, we avail nothing. Okay, sadly, love, as important as it is, as divine 
as it is, is very frequently missing from God's own people. Love is missing from the church. And yet, without it, you're nothing. You're nothing. Illustrated, the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth had all the gifts. They were lacking nothing, chapter 1 says, when it comes to giftedness. They had a wealth of teachers. I mean, their teaching base, the gifted, anointed men of God teaching in the church in Corinth uh, cannot be replicated today. Um, they had an, uh, an amazing grasp of doctrine. There's not a doctrinal issue dealt with in the book of Corinthians, either one, first or second Corinthians. They had the facilities, the, the area for reaching the lost. And, and if you're really truly honest, they had an amazing location. Uh, the isthmus that comes out, uh, the shipping, instead of going all the way around uh, the, the peninsula of Greece, they would come across the isthmus there, and it was a, a trade route. Uh, and they were uh, affluential in, in touching the Athens, which was the capital. Um, they had the ability for all the shipping lanes. We had the ability of a garrison there. Uh, it was classified in Roman culture as a free state. Uh, if you were a Roman slave and you paid your uh, time to get out of slavery, you were offered a plot of land in Corinth that you could have and develop it any way you wanted to. It was an amazing place. They had all of this going for them. And Paul concludes in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13 that it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. You know, I think about us, Castle Rock Baptist Church. We are dead center between Denver and Colorado Springs. We are in one of the most affluent counties in the nation. We have people coming in by the proverbial busloads. We are gifted. We are placed here by God's command, by God's ordination, and my question is going to be the same. Is there love? Is there love? I shared with you a few weeks ago, fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. There's only one fruit. And the facets of that love is peace, joy, gentleness, kindness. Against such things there is no law. So what I want you to think about with me today, we're, we're laying a framework here, but what I want you to think about with me is the absolute necessity, the absolute urgency of love. And yet, I believe it's tragically absent. I've already showed you what love was. Love, God so loved the world, he did what? He gave up his family. Think about that for a second. Okay? God so loved that when he was incarnate in the garden, preparing to die for you and I who hate him, he said, not my will, but yours be done. God so loved that while his disciples were bickering over who would be on the right hand and the left hand in the kingdom, he took and bowed before them, wrapped 
a garment around his waist and washed their feet. The most lowly thing that you can do. That is the love that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, love you. I'm not talking about a love that says, you know what, I didn't get a card from you for my birthday. That's not what I'm talking about. If it is this important... Then, then I struggle with this. Why is it so difficult for a church to truly experience love? I'm talking about agape. Why is it so hard? I guarantee you right now I can go through this room and ask you, have you seen it in this body? And some of you say no. There's a whole bunch of books written about it. we got songs written about it. We've got poems written about it. We probably have had discussions on it, individually and collectively. But I'll tell you this, when you've said it all, when you've read it all, when you've sung it all, when you've heard it all, you still haven't heard it until you read 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. It is the most complete description of love ever penned. Now, it's not long enough to be a long song. And the reason that I say that it's the most complete description is this is God's own personal description of love defined. Okay? All right, now I want you to think with me for a second. You guys got to put your thinking caps on today. Okay? In fact, something that I've noticed, Scripture, 66 books, never, ever defines love. Do you know that? It never defines it in an abstract term. It never defines it in an attitude. It never defines it in a feeling or an ideology. The Bible never defines love. The Bible only describes love in its action. Okay? Listen, love is not abstract. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is not an attitude. Love is a deed. Love is an activity. Look at verses 4 through 7. What feeling do you see there? What ideology do you see there? That's why in my outline, what love does and what love doesn't. Why? Why? If you read the English, okay, and I'm thinking that most of you are reading the English today. I hope so. Okay. I'm, I'm teaching out of the New American Standard. Some of you have different versions. That's fine. Okay. But if you read the English in these three verses, love is patient, love is kind. Okay. Stop right there. What's the noun? Love. Love is the noun. And then you have a modifier. Okay? Which would make it 
an adjective. And it says that love, if you modify it, it is patient. Okay? Here's the problem with that. The Greek text has not one adjective in the text. Okay, so that's where you have that little problem. I always describe the English language and the Greek language. The English language is sort of... Remember when you used to be able to get the carton of ice cream and had chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry? Okay, you get the three. That's the English language. Okay, the Greek language is Baskin-Robbins. Okay, you got 32 flavors. And so what you do is when you try to take it from the Greek, you try to make it flow with the English. All right. In the Greek, everything in there are adverbs. The nouns action. Got it? Patience in your text is modifying the noun. In the Greek text, it says the noun does this action. See the difference? Love is not something you describe with adjectives. Love can only be described with verbs. It's an action. Love is only described. It is never defined. If you read to that, you'd almost see the definition of love. It's not. It's the action of love. The action of love is kind. Okay? Uh, Spiros Zodiades wrote a whole volume on this. It's a big old thick book like that. The title of the chapter is, he calls it, Love is to Live. Okay? One of his statements is there, Love is only love when it acts. Unquote. I thought that's a fascinating statement. That is the way it is presented in the Word of God. It never defines love. It only describes love. And the description here is phenomenal, beautiful, amazing, whatever you want to... Actually, in this text right here, I've got 15 perfections of love. Okay, and this is necessary. It's a necessary reality. Because without love, you're nothing. We've already looked at that. The importance of love in chapter, in chapter 13, 1, 2, 3. So if it's so important and I can't do anything without love, not even spiritual gifts are effective without love, then tell us what is love. How do I do this? Tell us how. You know what? That's what Paul does. <laughs> Okay, now, now I want you to grab a hold of this because you, you need to understand something. Fruit of the Spirit is when you are Spirit-filled, what happens? There's an action and it will be based on the motive of divine love overwhelming the human being and the power of the Holy Spirit and fleshing it out. And without that, if you're speaking, you're just noisy. If you're trying to do anything else, it is of no avail. It is zero. It accomplishes nothing. It is nothing, Paul says. Let me show you how the literal translation from the Greek text would read through this text. 
Okay, because what you have, I guarantee you, whether you got King James, New King James, New American Standard, NIV, what you have is a noun and a modifier. The Greek text is a noun with the action of that noun. Okay, it would read this way. Love is long-suffering. Where yours says patient, makithumia. It's long-suffering. Love is kind in its actions. Love is not envying. Love is not boasting. Love is not feeling conceited. Love is not behaving in an unbecoming way. Love is not seeking its own things. Love is not thinking evil. Love is not rejoicing in iniquity, but love does rejoice with truth. Love is enduring of all things. Love is believing of all things. Love is the hoping of all things. And love is lasting unto all things. A little bit different, isn't it? A little bit different. Let me tell you something. That is the description of love. That describes it. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? You can't hide this. It is seen. Well, they should know I love them. Really? How do they know? It was just a guess. No, this will be seen. There is no boasting. There is no envying. There is kindness in every aspect. There, you know the one that really drives me nuts is the first one. Okay, because we read it as patience and we can handle patience. But can you handle long suffering? Because see, patience means I got to be patient with my kids. Long suffering says when they are brutal to me, when they offend me, when they are cruel to me, when they stab me in the back, I'm going to endure it without an evil thought crossing my mind, never at any point taking retaliation. Even if I have the ability to take retaliation, I like patience better. You know, and I would never wish patience on anybody. But I am looking at long suffering. It's the same terms that you see in the Septuagint in the Old Testament, speaking of God's long suffering with you and me. See the difference? This is a description. Of love. And there's nothing abstract here, people. There's no ideology here, people. There's no emotion here. There's no feelings here. It's only seen in the terms of a behavior. My best illustration, I really struggled with this because I got, how do you illustrate something like this? And here's the best one I could come up with. If you can come up with better ones, we're happy for you. Okay? It, love is a beam of light. 
And it's just been punched into a prism. And in that prism, there's 15 facets that come out of it. You can't have 11 out of 15 facets or the beam of light ain't in it. If the beam of light hits this prism with 15 facets in it, you're going to get 15 facets from it. If you got the best two out of three, it ain't love. It ain't love. There's 15 different colors. There's still one being. One reality. Love is action. So, if you haven't figured it out yet, some of you who've known me for a while, how can I hurry through this in light of how important it is? And everybody goes, oh my God. He's got 15 things he wants to talk about. We'll be here until 010. We do need to spend time. We do need to spend time. Because I want you to think about this. Love is long-suffering. Love is kind in its action. Love is not envying. Love is not boasting. Love is not feeling conceited. Love is not behaving in 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 an unbecoming way. It does not... Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Now think about that. What is manifested in my life? The love of God has sort of been poured into my heart? No. How much of the love of God? All of it. How come this is such a problem? Why do we struggle with this? Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. I don't, you know. If you think you don't, I would suggest you talk to me after the service. Okay? Perhaps I can enlighten you I struggle with it I mean I go through this and think man I'm just going to go over to 14 you guys all know what chapter 13 is it's a love chapter let's just go on to 14 I trust as we go through this that what will become to you will be a very transforming truth I trust and I've been praying that a whole concept of life in a single container will be made apparent to you. I mean, if you want to call it the idea of love, um, fine, call it whatever you want to call it. But I'll tell you this, that it has to make us behave differently than we do now. Okay. I've seen glimmers of it. I have. In my life. Wow, that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. And it has affected me. My prayer is that it will have a greater effect on me. But my greatest prayer is that it have an effect on each and every one of you. Okay, because when you look at this text, we have, I mean, how many of you have heard this text taught? This is what they say at weddings. Okay, they're getting ready to go smoochy someplace with rings and happy joy, joy thing. And 
and love is going to be patient, and amen, I love you, sweetie, and you know, love is going to be kind, and I love you, sweetie, and then I'm not jealous, and I love you still, sweetie, and I love you, and does not brag, and arrogant, and well, this is, and then say I do, and she did, and we did, and we are out of here. Okay, you know what's amazing about this? It's got nothing to do with marriage. It has nothing to do with marriage. The context starts in chapter 12, verse 1. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. What? What the heck has that got to do with love? Hmm. If you have all the gifts in the world and you have not love, you are noisy and sometimes annoying. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? And yet, the one thing that the whole world looks for is love. And yet the one thing that the whole world has absolutely no ability to grasp is love. Why? Because I love me and I want what you can do for me. And that's what love is. That's the love that is defined today. When a man and a woman get married, what are they basing it on? Every single time I've seen it. That looks good to me. Is that love? That's why they throw that little thing in there, sickness and in health, richer or poorer. I mean, nobody ever remembers it, but they throw it in there. Why? In case you get sick. You know, that's what I told my son. My son was preparing to be engaged to his, his wife, and he came to me and he's got this serious look. And he says, Father, I need to know about this marriage thing. I'm thinking about asking Sasha to marry me. He says, what counsel would you give me? I said, what does her mom look like? He goes, what? I said, because that's what she's going to grow into. And if you can't love that, don't go. Because I know what he was dealing with. Why? She was attractive. I'm attracted to you. You have the fun things and do like the fun things that I like to do. And you have the, this is going to be fun. No, it ain't. You're not going to put two blind, naked, and depraved people who need to be saved by Jesus Christ and put them together and say, be one. Because they won't. The woman has been cursed. Why? She has a desire to overthrow the authority of her husband. It's part of her. And I don't say that to be mean. Men don't want to take care of their women. Look. Look at our society. Tell me I'm wrong. Men do not want the role of spiritual leader in the house. Well, the woman won't let me. It doesn't say whether the woman will let you or not. It says you are the spiritual leader. You're not going to be able to stand before Jesus. You wouldn't let me. Okay? Well, every time I... It doesn't matter. So what happens? We have... I see people who get... Here's the thing that I see in marriages is the biggest trouble. People come into marriage based on the temporal. Okay? They may love each other. But the truth of the matter is, they are pleased at the view they have. Okay? And in the process of the marriage taking and forming, then the true love of Christ. Now, I'm talking about saved people. I'm talking about lost people. In the process of the moving of the Holy Spirit, they all of a sudden start learning to what love person is from the soul. And then all of a sudden it dawns on them that the package doesn't really matter anything. Okay? Gravity, sun rays all take their toll on the package. It is. Right? And I mean, you know, it does. 
But for the marriage to stand, how does it stand? The love of Christ has compelled me. Okay? Let me ask you a question. We Christians should be having that bond first and the physical take care of itself. But we don't. Why? Look at your church today and tell me that you see the love of Christ manifest in the people. You see the love that says, you know what? I have blood family and they're not as important as the brothers and sisters of the body of Christ. Look at the church today and say, I am willing to completely can any idea, any plan, any motive, any attitude, any ambitions I had because I want God's will, period, sacrifice. Are you willing to take the person sitting next to you, the person around you and say, you know what? I will wash your feet and I'll do it when you don't even ask. I'll do it because you need it. That's what he's saying here. Read it. Read what it says. It is long-suffering. Anybody here been discouraged with saints of God? If you haven't, try my job. Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever invested in a soul only to have it walk away? But Jesus was long-suffering. I mean, I, I can give you his long suffering with Israel. Oh, what a bunch of knuckleheads them people are, right? I mean, we looked at Judah last night and you just sit there and go, man, I cannot believe that this is a messianic line. This guy's a moron. Okay? And then all I have to do is go and look in the mirror and ask myself this single question How long suffering is God with me? Okay, now I am supposed to turn around and walk out and have that same action with every one of you. Try kindness. How do you do it with that? When you talk to somebody, is it in kindness? You know what it means, right? Kindness. There's a gentleness here. Even when you're correcting somebody, is there a kindness? How about jealousy? I know nobody in this room deals with jealousy. None of us think that somebody else has got something they don't deserve and I deserve it. Now do we? I can't understand why that guy's a boss. I can't understand why that person does this. I can't understand why I should be doing that. Really? How you do with bragging? Listen. I've seen people get creative with bragging. They spiritualize it as humility. And you sit there and go, you know, I'm proud of my humility. Cool. That's good stuff. I'm going through a couple of issues with some outside circumstances in our in the body of Christ. And the thing that is there that is underlying and people want to come up to me and you need to pray about this and you need to pray about it. It's all arrogance. They're all arrogant. I'm so humble. I just, I can't toot my own horn. You can't get your mouth off the horn long enough to say something. Now listen, I know that this group doesn't deal with pride. We're all humble before God. 
And I don't have, I don't feel like there's anything out there that I'm in need of that God hasn't given me. Okay, I'm completely satisfied. I walk in absolute contentment with God. How can I ever be jealous about anybody or brag about anybody? Right? And as soon as you do that, you shut the light off in the prison. That quick. Light goes out. Guess what? You start batting zero. You can't accomplish anything. It's important, people. I would argue, biblically, that this text is the single most important text to any Christian. To any Christian. And I would also argue the thing that is killing the church the most today, it's not materialism. Okay, it ain't. It, it, it isn't affluence. No. You can go down the line. All the things you do. Well, we're just not evangelizing enough. We're just not reaching enough. We ain't doing this enough. We ain't got this. You know, you know what's lacking? Love. Love. And before you get too thorny about it, you better look in the mirror first. You better look in the mirror first. I'm going to close this because there's so much here that I want to get, but I want to give you a framework. And this is the thing I want you guys to be ready for in the next 16, 18 weeks. Well, I thought about doing two at a time, but it was a fleeting thought. It is not how, it isn't important that you evaluate this sermon or the sermons that are come. How, how well did he get the point or he sounded like he was confused in his thought process? The illustrations were stupid. They didn't fly. Or, hey, maybe you'll like them. I don't know. That is not important. I don't, I, and I'll be honest with you, and I don't say this to be mean-spirited or anything. I am really not concerned about your evaluations of my sermons. I have never been concerned about you evaluating my sermons. Okay? I have one evaluator. Okay? And you ain't him. Some of you think you are, but you're not. And he's not on vacation. He doesn't take the summer off. Okay? What is important? The single most important thing is that you put your life up against the characteristics of love. Now, I've got to be real specific about that. I don't want you to put your neighbor. I don't want you to put your wife. I don't want you to put your kids. You Put your life up. How are you doing with long-suffering? How are you doing with being kind? How are you doing with not being jealous? How are you doing with not bragging and not being arrogant? How do you do with not uh, acting unbecomingly? How do you do with not seeking its own? How do you do when you're provoked? How do you do when you do not take into account a wrong-suffered? How do you do when it comes to unrighteousness? Do you rejoice in it? How do you do when truth is 
out there? Do you bear all things? What is it that you truly believe in all the time? What is your hope in all the time? And what do you endure with? Okay, please, not your spouse. Okay, because the women are going to be poking the men, the men are going to be poking the women, and everybody else is going to be looking at, you know, I was over there, that one deacon, he just, he's a knucklehead, I can't believe him. And then I had a person over there, you know, they were supposed to work in the nursery and they didn't do it. Look what you just did. Listen, what is important about this text is that you put your life up against the characteristics of love. And let me tell you something. There's nothing else. There's absolutely nothing else. Hmm. I think I'll just leave it right there. I'll leave it right there. Let's close. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for drawing us together that we may seek your ways, your will. Lord, uh, you have shown us we stand without excuse on the importance of love. Father, we also stand without excuse understanding the energy source for love and the ability to grasp this energy source to Make it a part of us. Yeah, Father, I look at your church today across this nation and I fear she experiences not love. Father, love is living. And yet, Father, you loved us so much that you hung on a cross. Father, beginning with my heart, I understand that. But Father, may it move from an understanding to be that simple thing that completely overwhelms me. Father, may we who gather here, may we walk in a manner worthy. And that manner is love. Father, may we bear with one another with that long suffering that you bear with us on a moment by moment basis. And Lord, may we can only do this in your strength. That crucified life, that's it. Help us, Lord. Help us to bow before this that we may understand. And we have been called to share the truth in love. And yet, Father, we have called by your name an immense privilege to walk with the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Christ's name, amen.